What is going on everybody? This is Tanner here with The Vision Project. I am so blessed that you have joined us for another edition of the VP Podcast. You are in for a treat today because we have Cliff Carey, the former Hume Lake Christian Camps director, as well as my old youth pastor. I I can't even tell you, and, and I don't even know where to begin with being able to tell you how special this man is to me. I am so honored that he is joining us today to share a very, very heartfelt story. Um, And as we go through this season of focusing on loss and what it means to really deal with loss as believers, even as unbelievers, you know, how you can find hope in the midst of a time of dealing with loss. This is a story that is going to touch you. And I know that it is because I know Cliff's heart. I know his character and who he is. And also just what he has told me about this testimony and what I know about it is absolutely incredible. I'm so honored that he is willing to share this. And I'm excited for you guys to hear what he has to say and the knowledge that he has to share. Again, Cliff, if you're listening, I'm so blessed that you have joined us today and uh, that you are willing to share this testimony. Um, I'm also just so glad and honored that I get to have you as a brother in Christ and somebody who built me up as a as a young believer um, in high school when you were my youth pastor, somebody that discipled me, and man, so many countless memories that I will never forget. So let's hit that intro. Let's get into the episode, shall we? Let's go. Welcome to The Vision Project a place where we strive to give hope and understanding of who Jesus is. We hope today's episode guides you to a better understanding of who He is and how much He loves and cares for you. Have a wonderful day. Alrighty, we are live, we are ready, and I've got my brother here, Cliff Carey. Cliff! Tanner! How you doing? I am doing so well. I love this. This is so cool. This is awesome that we we get to do this. You know, I I was on yours and now you're on mine. That's right. That's right. We just get to trade off. Yeah. So, I mean, with that being said, why don't you, you know, let the people know who you are, what your ministry is or ministries, I should say. Uh, Go ahead and explain that to us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my name is Cliff Carey, as you said. I am the executive pastor at Sunrise Community Church in Fair Oaks, that's in the Sacramento area here, and have been there for almost eight years. I was, uh, I had the distinguished privilege of being Tanner's youth pastor, um, so, so there we have that, and uh, got to see him when he wasn't as mature as he is today, but uh, <laughs> uh, in, in all seriousness, I was a youth pastor at Sunrise uh, for three years, and then became the executive pastor and, and for those that don't know what an executive pastor does, uh, I, I oversee more of the business side and the personnel side of the church. So uh, where the senior pastor is responsible for vision and direction and uh, preaching and things like that, I oversee more of the operations side of the church. So uh, it's a real fun position. And, and uh, then when uh, COVID hit, our church started looking for more ways that we could reach out to people, especially during the, the big quarantine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's when I started the Monday morning backshed Bible study from my 
shed in my backyard because that had become my uh, my office during COVID lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And so we started doing a, a live, a Facebook live uh, Bible study that kind of turned more into uh, an interview show slash Bible study. And, uh, and then we've uh, launched the podcast version of it this year and and uh, put it on YouTube and all those kind of funny fun things. So it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun what I get to do over here in my shed. <laughs> and you're in your shed right now. I, I'm in my shed right now. It's uh, shed <laughs> slash studio. If if I had known three months earlier when I built the shed that it was going to be my office slash studio, I would have insulated it. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> There's no returning now. <laughs> no, no. So I just, I got to deal with cold and hot and everything in between. Yep. It's a lot of fun. You're dealing with it and you're going through it and pushing through. And I love, I love the podcast. I love, you know, seeing all the different people that you've had on, you've had Rachel on and, you know, other yeah. special people. It's just been, you know, very fruitful um, love seeing, you know, the live feed and seeing people, you know, hop on. So if you, any of you in my audience are listening, go ahead and check that out. That's on Monday mornings, right? That's right. Monday mornings at 10 o'clock on Facebook live. You just search sunrise community church and you'll come up with our Facebook page and that's where we are. So or you can awesome. watch later, you know, other episodes, just go to YouTube and search Backshed Bible study and, and we're all over the place from there. Awesome. So cool. Um, so Cliff, to inform you, in this season at the Vision Project, we've been going through this subject of loss, and I know that yes. you yourself have dealt with significant loss in your life. Yeah. And uh, and that's you know kind of why we're we're here today. We're here to hear your story. Um, so I would love if you would you know and and I'm honored first and foremost that you're you know willing to come on the show and um, and share that. So the floor is yours, sir. Yeah, absolutely. And, and honestly, Tanner, I, I appreciate any opportunity I have to be able to, to share um, April's and my story of, of loss and, and how that has played out in our lives over the last 11, almost 12 years. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'll take you back about 12 years. We, uh, my wife and I uh, lived and worked at Hume Lake, great place up so in the cool. mountains of Central California. And, um, at the time, I think we'd been married about five years and we, we had two kids, uh, our son, Peter, uh, who at the time was two and our daughter, Elise, um, who was, uh, around, uh, 11 months old. And, um, it was a, um, winter weekend. I remember very clearly it was February 14th. So Valentine's day. Uh, camp was full. I think there were seven, eight hundred kids in camp that weekend for a winter camp, and and my daughter Elise had, um, she had had just gotten a real bad. Uh, at first, we thought it was a cold, but it kind of turned into this croup, kind of nasty cough mm. that she had, and um, we took her to see a doctor up there at Hume Lake because they bring doctors up on the weekends to deal with campers. And, and he looked at her and said, you know, she's probably past the worst of this and, and, and so on. Well, it just got worse and worse and worse. And, um, I believe it was a a Sunday night and it was back in 2010 and 
and she just wasn't getting any better and, and the cough was getting worse and she was getting really irritable. And I, it's just, my poor wife, April had made us an amazing Valentine's day dinner and, uh, you know, special time for our family, but we were dealing with Elise and trying to get her calmed down and, and just get her some sleep because she just hadn't been sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I finally was able to, um, get her down to sleep that night late and probably 11 or 12 o'clock and mm. we went to bed and just something something motivated me to prompted me to get up about 4 30 4 45 in the morning and i i walked in her room to check on her as as i often do because she typically at, at the age she was she was 10 and a half months at the time mm. um, and at that age she was not sleeping all night so it was pretty normal for me to uh, get her a bottle and, and hang out with her for about a half hour in the middle of the night. And mm. I went in to check on her and um, I realized very quickly something was wrong. And as I turned her over, she was not breathing and um, just completely still. And um, immediately, I mean, I just I yelled over to April and started calling 911. I started CPR and... Mm. Um, we we got we got dressed and raced down to the infirmary there at Hume, which is not far from where we lived at the time, and mm. and woke a doctor up out of bed and got him over there, and I mean, and he just immediately the the moment he got there with her, he just said, "I am so so sorry." She not, and um, um, I mean, I'll I'll never forget April at that moment, I mean, literally collapsing in my arms on the floor, and. Um, and we were just, we were stunned, you know, by, by this point, it's five, five fifteen in the morning and, mm. and we're trying to process what's happening here. And, and you're in complete disbelief at what has happened. Mm. So, um, in, uh, in a short amount of time, uh, some of our closest friends started to find out, they started to get phone calls um, started to show up to, to be there for us. And, uh, you, you know, my good friend, Jay, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> who, uh, got over there as quickly as he could and, mm-hmm. and was with us. But, um, but it began, uh, just a, a hard, dark season in our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, suddenly at this point, right up to this point, Tanner, we, we had, we we kind of had the thought that we were living just this perfect life. Mm. We I had a great job. We were in a great ministry together there at Hume Lake. Mm. Um, here we have two kids that are in all of twenty months apart and nineteen months apart, actually. And and it was a great setup. And mm. it looked like okay, God's blessing is on our family. And then suddenly we start walking through the, um, just the, the darkest thing any parent could go through. Right. And, uh, and, and that's where we were. So, um, I'll, I'll leave it there for now. I'll let you ask more questions, but that's, uh, mm. uh that is what happened. And, uh, sure. there's obviously there's a whole lot more as we kind of walk through and talk through what it looked like for us to grieve and, um, deal with the loss of a young child and and everything that went with that sure yeah and you know along with that you know whole grieving process and you know even just processing in itself how does one 
and even for you as somebody who's working at a Christian camp, is a strong believer in the Lord, is serving the Lord in his ministry, how how do you process something like that? You know, what what is that grieving process look like for somebody who believes in God and believes that he has the will, the plan, and that he's on the throne? What does that look like for a Christian? Excellent question. It it is as much as you would like to think there was some uh book the strategy book that's been written about how to <laughs> how to grieve and to walk through that there just isn't there's a lot of books written but lost for dummies right yeah <laughs> grief is so different for every single person and mm. uh, for us you know here you are in and i both april and i had been christians since we were young children mm. and so we grew up with foundational belief in God and understanding. And I had gone to a Christian college. And, and so I had a, a Christian education that, that taught me all of the, the right things to believe. Mm. But, but this is where it stands out to me is suddenly now you, you have all of the head knowledge, but the, the heart knowledge is being put to the test. Mm. And, and, and I'll never forget when we walked back from that infirmary that morning, uh, just an hour later after we'd gone through all of this, and we had to walk back to our house, which was, I mean, all of 100 yards or something. It wasn't mm. that far away. But as we're walking back without our daughter in our arms, uh, mm. and and we got to our house and and people are starting to come over. There's this moment where on on that walk where it just very simply came to my mind, either everything that we have been studying and believing with our minds till this point, uh, biblically is true or it isn't. Mm. If it's true, then in in the end, it is going to be okay. I mean, and, and I was able to logically say that to myself that morning. If, if this is all true that we've been believing, it's going to be okay. If this is not true, then we might as well close the blinds to the house, uh, you know, close the blinds on the windows and shut the house and go into um, self-pity and, and everything and you know turn the lights off we're done Mm. and it really was that either if it's true it's going to be okay if it's not true then we're done Mm. and clear as day we knew that it was true that said it in, in what i said at the beginning it entered we entered into some of the darkest times of our life sure um deep painful grief mm. not being able to sleep um questioning and still questioning god mm. uh, for sure but we all the way along knew god's in control um and even during this time and tanner you you will probably remember this as having been someone in my youth group right that there were three things that i always said about god god is good God is faithful and God is sovereign. Mm. And in those three things just became the truth that I would repeat 
day after day after day. God right. is good. God is faithful. God is sovereign. Right. And in repeating those things was been part of the healing uh, in the midst of the grief. Mm. Mm. That's good. I mean, it's not easy for any of us to deal with grief, to deal with the process of even death itself. You know, it's something really difficult for us to face. Um, but looking at it in the face, looking at this whole entire, you know, trial in the face of it, now you're able to look back, you know, so for you, what were some of the things that you wish you knew prior to facing this loss? Oh, boy, maybe I do wish you had uh, prompted me on a few of these questions ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good one. I... I don't know if I wished I had known anything ahead of time. I I think there was so much of God's grace mm. that was showering over me. Maybe mm. maybe the best thing though, it was something that a counselor told April and me mm. um a couple of weeks into it. I think maybe 3 weeks into it, we we went to see this counselor and and we were doing it for the sake of our son because she specializes in, in child development and so mm. on. And we go to see her and, you know, our, our biggest thing was we don't want to screw up our son. Mm. And we want him to grow up and have a normal life and, and not right. be messed up by his parents and in this trauma. <laughs> but I'll never forget. She looked at us, both of us and said, you need to be kind to yourselves. Mm. And, and that was such a freeing moment that, that she gave us permission mm. to be messy. She gave us permission to not have our act together. Yep. Uh, she gave us permission to uh, be able to deal with people that would say stupid things in <laughs> in a way that was was helpful for us and and all that. So, you know, if anything, going into it, you know, I think it's just important for anyone. To know, first off, you're going to have hard times in your life. Yeah. If you haven't already, you will. Mm. And um, to be okay with the fact that those hard times will come mm. and they will be hard. You might say some things that you wished you hadn't said to God, mm. but he's a big boy. He can handle it. <laughs> um, he, he really can. Um, and, you know, and so that's probably one of the the better things that just wishing I'd known that, um, that it's normal and, and it's okay to go through the hard parts of it. Mm. That's good. No. And I mean, and that's what we do have to do as Christians is know that there are times to come where we will face these trials. We will face difficulty because if we don't, it's really like neglecting the fact that there is armor to put on before battle, that there is, you know, war to get ready to, to be prepared for. And so, you know, it's even moments like this where it seems like the hardest parts of the battle are facing us. And, you know, did you feel like you were ready for a moment like that? Looking back now? No, no. I, I think it's impossible to be to be ready or even to plan for every single single circumstances yeah. what the, the thing that made april and me ready was the fact that we did have a fundamental understanding of the character of god mm. 
and and because of that, and it's like I go back to that moment where we said either it's true or it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, understanding the character of God, we were able to understand that he was sovereign mm. and it was going to be okay. Like that yeah. was that was a really big thing. Mm. Definitely. So next question. <laughs> All right. Um, what is your advice to the person that is dealing with loss? Yeah. My advice to the person dealing with loss is I would start with allow the people that are around you to love you and to take care of you. Mm. Um, don't try to figure this out on your own because you can't. Mm. This this one is beyond you. Um, there's a there's a beautiful story in, in the New Testament, and uh, and it's this this man who's paralyzed, <laughs> and his his buddies carry him to Jesus. They can't get through the crowd, so they dig through a roof and they lower him to Jesus to get healed. Mm. Um, and, th- and there are a couple of real simple truths in this story. One of them is, first off, he couldn't get himself to Jesus, right? Right. Um, and, and I look back to, to our time and, and our loss, we couldn't, there were times where we truly couldn't get ourselves to Jesus. Mm. April and I both would say, I, I couldn't pray. It was almost impossible to pray. If if I was sitting there holding my Bible, I had no clue where to go. Mm. Uh, even though I was graduated from a Bible college and and have all this education, mm. it was I, I just I didn't know where to go in that moment. Mm. Uh, and and so that you know, so the, this guy can't get himself to this. Um, his buddies carry him to Jesus. Now, notice also that his buddies can't heal him. Um, they, but they do know who can. Mm-hmm. And so they carry him to Jesus because they know that Jesus is the one who can heal him. Mm-hmm. And, and so for, for April and me, we had some incredible friends. And in that they were the ones that, I almost could literally say carried us to this. Mm. They would, if, if we left our house for several hours, we'd come back and our house was clean. Um, and they'd gone through and cleaned our house. And then we'd find Bible verses hidden around the house, even laminated ones in the shower. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we'd find, I mean, I'd find... Uh, verses hidden in the coffee cabinet in our kitchen mm. that it's like God's mercies are new every morning, you know, mm. <clears throat> right there with your coffee. Mm. And, and so it was, um, it was just this really cool thing to allow them to carry us to Jesus. Mm. And, and we knew they were praying for us, but they were also doing a lot of tangible things for us. So, my big advice to, to anyone that's going through loss is let the people that love you, that are around you, let them help you, let them carry you. Mm. Um, they want to help and they don't know how 
to help. Right. Um, uh, this one was, was a pretty big thing. It, we have a good friend, her name's Jen and, uh, Jen makes the most amazing cinnamon rolls ever. <laughs> uh, and Jen was over at our house that, that morning. She was there very quickly and, and she is still one of our just dear, dear friends. She and her husband, Joel, are are dear friends to mm. this day. Um, but they're over at our house and, and Jen very much is one of these people that is able to um, converse and talk and, and see where help needs to happen. Um, and had jumped in and was helping some with some things in our house. And her husband, Joel, was great. He looked, looked at me and goes, Cliff, I have no clue what to say, but I am here with you. And he was like Job's buddies before they were idiots <laughs> and um, would just sit with me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to sit here. I'm like, that's perfect. I just need someone in proximity. Mm-hmm. But I remember looking at Jen. It was the day Elise died. And I just said, Jen, um, I need some of your cinnamon rolls. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she starts kind of tearing up. She's like, I can do that. I can do that. And, uh, and she went and, and made us cinnamon rolls. And we had them the next morning with breakfast. It was amazing. Wow. So, so sometimes, you know, for someone that's that's just in the midst of it, um, let their let the people around them love them and, and carry them through it, and um, and know they're not alone. Mm. Um, they are absolutely not alone. They feel alone, and mm. grief is going to be really hard. Mm. It is it is going to be dark and hard, and it's going to be very real. Um, and they're going to encounter every emotion. Uh, but I would, I would go on to say, don't be afraid to lean into grief. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times, well, it, you know, when you see someone crying, what do we do? <laughs> Usually we go over there and, and try to stop them. They're crying. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hand them a tissue. Yeah. You know, here's the tissue to, to help control your crying or, you know, the, the results of your crying. Sure. Um, sometimes we have to grieve mm-hmm. and we, we have to go through that just hard, gasping, convulsing grief because in the end, it is so cathartic. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, being able to release those those things and those emotions and that pain ultimately will lead to your healing. Mm. Um, but the person that hides those things or holds them back and doesn't release those things, believe me, they're going to hold on to them. Mm. They, they are going to hold on to them and they will come out a year later, five years later, 20 years later, and it's going to be ugly. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's a big one too is, uh, learning how to grieve well and that's that's a whole nother <laughs> a whole nother rabbit trail we can go down. <laughs> I mean we can go down it. <laughs> you know, like for you, what were some I guess you can give us some examples, what were some healthy ways you grieved? What were some moments that you they were the ugliest moments? Like what did that look yeah. like for you? Yeah. So so the healthy part of grieving is uh for me, it was, you know, go out in the woods and yell and scream and, and cry. And it mm. was, it was just painful. And, but to, to release that, mm. um, 
my my friends Rich and Jay uh, the day that that we <laughs> lost her. Um, I was sitting out in front of my house with the two of them, and I looked at both of them. I said, "Don't let me get fat." <laughs> Whatever you do, don't let me get fat. Um, you know, so there's the unhealthy thing. The unhealthy thing is to go and and, and um, eat mm. and you know do what feels good. Right, but doesn't necessarily have the best result. Mm. Um, the healthy thing, and actually, I didn't get fat. I actually lost a ton of weight in a very healthy way. Is mm. um, immediately, even that day, the day it happened, April and I, like we, it was winter time at Lake, which means temperatures are hanging out in the 30s and 40s. There's snow everywhere, and we kind of looked at each other and said, "Let's go for a walk." Wow. So we go for this walk, and. Um, and we end up walking probably two miles, two and a half miles. And and we came back and we're like, okay, that was good. You know, we needed to do that. Well, that became a very regular habit. We started doing that every day, maybe a couple of times a day. Mm. Pretty soon she started jogging. And I started jogging again. And pretty soon she says, well, there's this uh, half marathon going on in San Diego in May. I want to do it. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness gracious, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, you realize that that is 13.1 miles, oh right, babe? Oh, my um, gosh. So I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. You know, And this is February. Mm. So we start training for this half marathon. And, and I would find out later through counseling that this was the best move we could have made. Wow. Um, in the grieving process because exercise and specifically, you know, running and things that are really getting your heart, um, moving mm. are, is creating endorphins. And, and so it is a, a catalyst for you to feel better, literally to feel better. Mm. Um, and, and so we are going out there, we're exercising every day. We're starting to, to lose a little bit of weight, but, you're just feeling better because you're doing that. And so, so that was a big part. Um, but the other, and, and Tanner, I think this is probably the most important thing I could share with anybody about it. Mm. And that is that we learn how to lean into the hard. Um, mm. There's a, there's a book that we, ended up reading and it's called a grace disguised um and the the name of the author is is i don't remember his name right now but mm. we read this book i think his name's jerry sitter or sitster or something like that mm. but great book the guy is a pastor who had lost his family in a car accident wow and i mean just everyone and and so as we're reading this you're just a mess as you're hearing his story and thinking we just lost our daughter. He lost everything, mm. but he keeps describing a dream, a recurring dream that he was having. And in this dream, he was chasing after the sunset mm. and he would never catch up to the sunset. Mm. Um, he, at one point when, and this is where I think again for him, and it's been 11 years since I've read this book, so forgive me if I'm really <laughs> blowing the, the description of it. Mm. 
but at one point he realizes, and I think this is the obvious thing, is you can never catch the sunset. Mm. And he realized, if I turn toward the darkness, I will get to the sunrise sooner. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. <laughs> um, Mind blown. <laughs> so, right. It's so profound. And, and for us, that meant we have to lean into the hard things and go through those hard things because if we do, the healing will happen sooner. Mm. So here's a here's a perfect example of one. Um, my wife is the most amazing cook slash decorator slash, you know, like our we had this really wealthy guy come into our house one time and he says, "This looks like a pottery barn showroom. This is amazing." <laughs> um, like just the way it was all decorated and all that. I mean, and, and so every little detail done in our daughter's room, you know, the color, the the walls were painted, the pink walls and mm. and the crib and, and the way everything was laid out and all the things on the wall. And she says to me, uh, and this was, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks after Elise had died. I think it was shortly after her funeral. Mm. Uh, and April says, I think we need to... Um, paint her room i think i think we need to make that no longer her room hmm. and so my father-in-law came up for the weekend for a couple of days and and so that meant i had to take apart the crib that she um excuse me as i'm uh, i may lose it here um i had to take apart the crib that she slept in i had to take apart the crib that she died in Wow. And, um, you know, in screw by screw, taking that thing apart, and it was a, in really good condition. Mm. Um, and it was, it truly was a second funeral for me as I, I mean, I was just, um, just bawling my head off as I was taking this thing apart. Mm. Um, and then, uh, um, and then we moved the furniture out of that room and then my, my father-in-law and I, um, painted the room mm. and we took it from the just beautiful soft pink color that was there that was just a, you know a little girl's room and uh, painted it a, a neutral color it would become Peter's room wow and, and we moved Peter into that room and and made the extra room uh, the room that Peter had been in mm. and as painful as that was it was so necessary. Mm. We, we truly leaned into the darkness. We turned and we walked into the darkness, into the pain. And, and what that did is it said, we're not giving up on her. We're not erasing her memory because, believe me, we had pasted pictures of her all over the house. We had frames and suddenly every picture we could have of her was all over our house. We weren't going to lose her memory. Mm. But she no longer lived with us. Mm. She no longer resided with us. She resides with Jesus. Mm. Um, and I've known parents that have left the room intact that their baby died in for five years. Wow. And 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 that is incredibly unhealthy. Um, mm. And and somehow we had the presence of mind to do that, and it was such. Uh, I, I can't say that it was cathartic at the moment, but in the end, it was maybe one of the best things we ever did. And, mm. and that was when we started to adapt a phrase, you don't move on, but you move forward. 
Right. Um, right. And, um, you know, you don't get over it. And I remember someone said, well, look, you're starting to get over it. I'm like, no, that's awful. No, you, you never get over it. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, you know, Ooh. when someone cuts your leg off, you're, you're, you're going to walk with a limp, mm. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> with a, you have a prosthetic and it mm. might heal, you know, to a certain extent and, and all that, but you're still going to walk with a limp. You're, you're more so getting used to it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, than absolutely. you are getting over it. <laughs> yeah. You don't get over it. But yeah, so that's, yeah, big thing was turning into the darkness. And, and the hard thing, the scary thing about turning into the darkness is you don't, you don't see the light for a while. Um, but one day, and we started to pray for glimmers of hope that God would show us little glimmers of hope. Mm. And gosh, he started to do that um, mm. in some really cool ways, too. Mm. Well, I think that that is the perfect way to end off as we head into a short little break. Stay tuned. Audience, don't leave. Don't go anywhere. We've got some exciting things coming. Isn't this great so far? I, I love this cliff. I love it. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's cathartic. Seriously, Tanner, <laughs> even 11, 12 years later, it's, mm-hmm. it's cathartic to be able to talk about it. Awesome. I appreciate it. All right, let's head into the break. do on breaks <laughs> or I you drink just, some coffee tanner you drink some coffee that's good that's really good because oh, yeah. we're gonna be here for a long time i think <laughs> we'll see we'll see i could talk to you for hours and uh we we both know that we both know that we could both talk to each other for hours yeah <laughs> so let's dig let's dig back into this and dig dig back into this you know subject of with grief and everything you know, for you, I want to understand how, what was that thing that got you through? And I know the typical answer is Jesus, but like what element of Jesus or even, you know, something that influenced you to see the light, to see that there is the other side to this? What did that look like for you? Yeah, it's, you know, it's something that I I reflected on a little bit earlier, but it really was um, leaning into the goodness of God mm. and and seeing that that never change changes his mm. faithfulness that his faithfulness never changes mm. and and so as. Uh, we started to get into scripture more and my wife just started, you know, once you get past those initial few weeks and start opening the Bible. And, and at some point, I think maybe a month in, I started reading Job. I said, well, I feel like him, so I might as well read it. <laughs> um, beat myself up a little bit. And, uh, but my wife started 
reading the Psalms and mm. one day she comes across and it's somewhere in the twenties and, and all the, the Bible scholars that follow along will know which one it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it says, I am convinced that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Mm. And it's that moment when for, for April in particular, where she says, I have hope. Mm. Um, his scripture promised, I'm going to see God's goodness. Mm. And so it was clinging to truth that we were pulling out of scripture and then remembering things like, hey, I prayed that we would see glimpses of um, redemption because April asked me one day, she says, are we ever going to see God's redemption Mm. or are we just going to be called to be faithful? Mm. And the answer to that question was a answer that was haunting me because my theology told me that we were going to be called to be faithful, Mm. that we might not see redemption while we're on this earth. Mm. But we were called to remain faithful. And if we became faithless, he would remain faithful since mm. he cannot deny himself, right? Right. But um, but then, you know, April comes across this verse in the Psalms that says, well, I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Mm. And we said, well, maybe we will see um, some of those glimpses of redemption. Maybe not complete. Mm. Uh, so that was that was something big is just clinging to that truth that that the Bible promises and repeating it over and over and over. Yeah. You know, so like I said earlier, I said, Oh, God is good, God is faithful, God is sovereign, and just repeating it over and over and over right. and reading scriptures and studying scriptures. And then Job just slapped me across the face with <laughs> God saying to Job in the end, where were you when? Mm. Dot dot dot. You know, yep. <laughs> he starts going through all of the the different uh, ways that Job was not around at the creation of the earth and every right. single thing. Right. And and I realized, you know what? The why question may never get answered. Mm. Why did God allow this to happen? Right. Yeah, it's 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 the hundred thousand dollar question. It's the question everybody asks. Actually, it's inflation right now, so it's the million dollar question. (laughs) Um, You know, that's funny. That's good. Why God? Why are you allowing bad things to happen to good people? And and the answer was none of your business. Mm. You're not going to know, so stop asking. Yeah, (laughs) stop asking questions that you know. (sighs) I guess don't really matter in the long run. Right. But, you know, you know, but I don't I would never look at somebody who's just lost a child and say, well, you just need to trust God and not not ask, not ask questions. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to shut up and love that person. But right. Right. You know, but that eventually becomes part of that is that unfortunately it's hard is that question just never is going to get answered. Yeah. Um, but that's, you'll see you'll that's see the striking of it. reality. Right. Right. Yeah. So I got to tell you a story. So uh, about 
three months after it happened, I had driven to Fresno to pick up a bunch of, it was the snow had melted at Hume Mm -hmm. and it was time for uh, spring planting to go. And my wife, uh, her family are landscapers. And so they were giving us some shrubs and, and various flowers we could plant and so on. And so I drove Mm -hmm. down to Fresno in my little truck and picked up all these shrubs and these plants and I drove them back up to, to Hume. And as I was driving through the this area called Grants Grove, mm. uh, where it's a national park, so you have to drive the speed limit or they'll really get you, and it's 25-mile-an-hour speed limit. And as I'm driving down this road, I drop down to 25 right at the sign, and I see the National Park Service law enforcement that's parked on the side of the road with his radar gun. And I hmm. kind of went, well, it's a good thing I'm going 25. Well, this guy pulls out behind me. And follows me for the next two miles and then lights me up and pulls me over. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm sitting here going, I, I don't get it. So we end up, I pull over the side of the road and the guy comes up to me very cautiously and he's looking at me and, and, uh, and he, there's this moment where he kind of recognizes me because, you know, you got to understand we live up in the mountains and we're right. 15 minutes away from where this guy lives. And, mm-hmm. and so you see each other at various things that happen. And and I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, well, uh, you know what the speed limit is around here, right? I said, yes. And I was driving it. And he says, yeah, you were. Uh, <laughs> he says, I says honestly, I pulled you over because I saw the shrubs in the back of a black truck with tinted windows, and you just kind of fit the profile. <laughs> so, I'm like, well, okay, I won't tell anyone. Well, yeah, now I'm telling thousands of people um, <laughs> that uh, a cop profiled me that day. But mm. but he thought I was like bringing marijuana plants to the mountains to grow. <laughs> um, so we once we kind of got over the laughter of that moment and that, you know, he he had he's like, yeah, I've seen you at Hume. Like, I know who you are. And um, he says, hey, how are things going down at Hume? And um, oh, man, I might cry telling this story. Mm. Uh, he I said, it's been a tough season. Mm. And mind you, this is three months after we'd lost Elise. Mm. He says, how are things going down at him? It's been a tough season. He's like, yeah, I heard about the family that lost their child. Oh, my gosh. And, and Tanner, I'm just like, that was me. Mm. And <laughs> at that point, all filters were down and he drops the F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Oh and, my uh, gosh! I'm not quoting it for you for you no. today in your yeah, audience, no. but he just you know he just let it out. He's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, oh my gosh! Out of all all situations, out of all, it was awesome. Wow! Because for the next ten minutes, I got to tell him about the faithfulness of God in mm. the worst ever possible season. And I drove home with a smile on my face, celebrating that God had used it. Wow. That God had allowed me to talk to this guy um, in in a way that I couldn't have otherwise. And uh, and there's just, honestly, there's story after story like that where, where God mm. just used it in somebody else's life. And, uh, um, and, and that became cathartic as well. When we started to see God using our story, 
I it, I don't know that I would ever look back and say, oh, I'd go through all that again. It was worth it. Mm. But I can praise God because he remained faithful and he used it. Yeah, I can tell you what right now, you know, just even for myself, you know, when I was a high school s- student and I just remember hearing that, you know, that story for the first time at, I think at the time we were Crossroads <laughs> yeah. high school group. I don't think it was 4-1 yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, just sitting in that room and I just remember I was just in this state of shock and awe and I was just, I remember being so hyper-focused because of the seriousness of this story and, and the message that you were speaking of, you aren't promised tomorrow. And, you know, you're not, right. you're not even the next person, you know, the person next to you or, you know, the loved one or that person that you just walked by. None of those people are promised tomorrow and even yourself. So that gives you a sort of emphasis on how to live your life. And I was going to say, you know, even for myself as a student, this story struck me in a way that, you know, I just, I remember the amount of emphasis it it put on my life, you know, of how important these relationships are. And, you know, that's what loss does. It really allows you to reflect and process how important these relationships are, you know, with these different people. So yeah, I can tell you what it, it does, you know, this story does change lives and I'm sure you can go on for, you know, such a long time explaining, you know, how it's, touched so many lives and how God's been able to use it you know how how do you feel personally you know how do you feel God has used this story throughout these past 11 years and how has that kind of even shaped your own way of thinking and living for yourself personally yeah it 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 changes your perspective on everything and that's Mm. probably one of the biggest things is you stop and you realize, you know, all the stuff going on out there is not really that big. The things mm. that we get all fired up about and worry about are just not nearly as big a deal as we make out of them. When, mm. when you consider it, to, uh, when you compare it, I should say, to uh, Jesus Christ who he is, that he's on the throne, that he's holding heaven and earth together, mm. that you know, he, he holds my, my daughter in his hands and his Amen. arms and, and he comforts her in a way that's so much better than I can. Mm. It, I, I'll tell you what, it just gives you perspective. And, and even over COVID that you just go, you know, like all this stuff that we're all getting fired up all about, on mm-hmm. both sides is is kind of noise. Yeah. It's it's noise compared to what the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ and who mm. he is and what he did on the cross. Uh it it stops you in your tracks and reminds you focus on what matters the most, right? Focus on Jesus cuz this other mm. stuff is all peripheral. Right. And in losing my daughter put my focus heavenward. Um, mm. rather than on the stuff of this earth. Now, that sure. said, over the last year and a half, have I been perfect in the COVID season and <laughs> never gotten fired up about anything? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> in all of our dreams, right? And I do. Right, well. exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, 
that it's so important for us to to gain new perspective every day and this is what i you know i i've told my students quite often is you know as we look at our lives it's so important daily to examine 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 yourself how you act because you have to be aware of what your your heart's desires your heart deceives you you know it says that throughout scripture you know your your tongue is a powerful thing you know how right. how you use it you know can either build people up or tear them down completely and i'm sure for you there were moments where you came across people that didn't use their tongue in the right way or that oh, you yeah. came across people that their actions and their tongue you know helped build you up in that season so you know along with that i would ask you this question you know how what what advice would you give to the person that is surrounding the person in that pain as you you know experience both sides of the ball game yeah okay excellent excellent question tanner mm. uh, because you know like we talked about earlier i think most people when they're around someone who's going through major grief major loss they don't know what to do right so the first thing you do is is you write that person's name down on a piece of paper and draw a circle around them mm. okay and then you you put another circle around that circle mm. and you ask the question who is in that next circle who mm. are the people that are directly connected to that person mm. um, that could be family very close friends you know in my case that was jay that mm. was in that second circle out was jay it was um uh, our friend jen i mean jay and his wife and jen and her husband um there were close family people mm. like that so those are those people in that next circle so you know in the inner circle it's just me and april and peter that's that's it mm. um so so the way it works is the people that that get to um Oh boy, how how do I say this right? The people that that get the privilege of really being in those people's lives mm. have to be in the next circle up. Mm. They can't be three or four circles out. Mm. And the thing is, when you go through tragedy like this, people four or five, six circles out are are having compassion on you and they're wanting to help. Right. Right. And so they try to go all the way to the center circle. Well, mm. they're not in very few cases. Do are they really equipped to invest into that person in the center? So what what we encourage people to do is connect with somebody that's in the circle that's closest to them and find out how you can help. Mm but don't go straight to that person. So uh, here's an example. There was this random dude that, that would come by my office probably once a week. And I barely knew this guy, but he knew because we worked at Hume, because our story had become very high profile in the Hume world, everybody knew lots of people were praying for us. And and that was amazing. And, mm -hmm. and lots of people gave us gifts and lots of people asked to help. But there were people that were trying to fix the situation for us. Mm -hmm. And this guy was one of them. And so he stopped by my office and he gave me the CD 
of somebody speaking who had lost a child. Hmm. And this guy was not connected to me. He wasn't even three circles connected to me. He was very distant off. Hmm. And he would come back by my office every week and ask me if I had listened to the CD. Oh, wow. Finally, four weeks in, I looked him in the face and I said, I'm sorry to be a jerk, but please stop coming by my office. Hmm. And he's like, well, I, I was just, just trying to help. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just, I can't take this. <laughs> you know? mm. and, uh, and that was the end. But, but the, the lesson in there was, now, if he had gone to my friend Jay and said, hey, if there's ever an appropriate time, would you hand this to Cliff? Mm. If, if, if this will fit. Um, and so I really encourage people, if you want to help, contact the people that are close to the people that it's affected. Mm. Find out how you can help. Find out how, mm. if there's a way you can encourage them. And for some, and sometimes it's, it was, you know, there was someone that, that was not connected to us, but that our friends knew that this person would be able to help us a lot because they had just gone through the same thing mm. uh, just a few months earlier. Wow. And, and so they went and they got that person and they brought him over to my house and, and I have never experienced empathy like I did with that guy. Mm. Um, and because he had lost his son, I think it was five months earlier, six months earlier. Wow. Uh, and he ended up being one of the, the guys that did her funeral mm. um, because he and his wife got it. They, they understood. Mm. But yeah, so just be really cautious. Don't be afraid to send a gift. Don't be afraid to send a card. Uh, actually, one of those things that you send in the mail, it's amazing. Um, hmm. And it actually goes a little farther. Well, with people my generation, it goes a little farther than an email sure. or a text. <laughs> sure. Um, but, uh, but really encourage people. If you sense the Lord saying, send them a note, by all means, send them a note. But mm. if you're not close to them, don't call them. Sure. Um, you know, check in with the people that are closest to them and see how you can help. That's, that's the best advice I can give people. Yep, that's good. And I, I, I want to touch back on um, earlier you had said, and I know this is kind of changing subjects pretty quickly, but um, you had gone out into the woods and you screamed. Yeah. And that was your way of, like we had talked about, you know, going through that pain, walking towards the darkness because you felt like, you know, as I do that, as I process that, the light is a lot closer than trying to chase that light, which seems so impossible. Right. Um, and so I feel like this would be a subject or kind of a rabbit trail to kind of go on. That might be interesting. Oh yeah. Do you f how do you feel Hume played a part in your process of, you know, coping? I, I, I don't think we, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have to be careful how I say this because <laughs> I know if we'd have been somewhere else, we would have gotten through it. Mm. But it was amazing. Mm. I, I mean, I still look back, and, and April and I both say it was the community at Hume that were those four buddies that carried their friend to Jesus. Wow. Um, it was a tight, very tight-knit community. Mm. And when I say that, I mean, you're just around. Everybody knows your stuff up there. Sure. And most of the time, you're like, yeah, this is just a little bit too much of a fishbowl. <laughs> Um, but let me tell you what, that fishbowl came through for us. Wow. Um, 
in in such a clear way. Uh, you know, my boss, I'll, my boss came over to my house that morning and he says, "Cliff, I've already talked to the main boss. You take as much time off as you need." Wow. I took a month off of work. Wow. I didn't go back to work for a month. And even when I did, I just kind of eased into it. And finally, April said, I need you to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to not be around here every day. <laughs> uh, but it was it was so good because they just, the on the employment side, they just said, do, do what you need to do to heal. Mm. Um, on the friendship side, I mean, our meals were taken care of for that whole month. Wow. Um, you know, the house was clean. The It just every place along the way that community came through. It was such a biblical, mm. act, you know, early church of Acts kind of mm. community that was uh, walking through it with us. And, and for several people in that community, they really were willing to walk it with us. Wow. Um, and, and to sit with us in the darkness and, and, you know, like I said, Job's buddies before they became jerks, you know? <laughs> yep. Amen. And, Amen. uh, I, I, I mean, with that and with COVID and with all of these different things that I think we've all kind of, you know, faced in some sort of way, it just shows how important community is. It just shows right. how important it is to be connected um, you know, another word to use would be rooted, you know, somebody that is really, um, yeah. engaged and influenced by, um, a surrounding community that can encourage you to see hope, to see truth in Jesus, no matter what the situation. Now that doesn't mean, you know, pushing Jesus on somebody that can't necessarily process it correctly in the moment, um, right. in, in uncomfortable ways, but it does mean, you know, being surrounded by people who are willing to serve, willing to, you know, be by your side as you, you know, handle that pain. Um, you know, what are your some some of your thoughts on that? Community was so important. And I see people today that go through something like this and they don't have a strong community of Christ followers around them. And it is so hard for them. Mm. Uh, so that's such an important thing. You know, earlier on, you asked me the question about, is there anything you wished you had known ahead of time? Mm-hmm. And I think I would come back and say, I wished I had known how important community was, having community was. Yep. Uh, yep. I know now, and I would challenge anybody that, you know, maybe you haven't gone through deep loss or grief. Be sure you have community around you, people that love Jesus and love you. And, you know, it starts by you investing into them. Yeah. And they invest into you and and back and forth. I, uh, Someone that you and I both know, a couple you and I both know, is Micah and Mackenzie Paul. Yes. And it was just back in May and June that their little newborn boy, Henry, um, almost lost his life. Right, I mean, he was he was on the edge of life uh, for yep. several weeks there, and it was so cool to watch the community of believers come around them and just walk with them and carry them through that season. And it was ex- I I know the exact feeling because we went through it. Mm. Um, so mm. that's that's a huge challenge to everyone. You can't do this thing alone. 
Um, you, you've got to humble yourselves and put yourself in a, in a community surrounded with people that are, uh, when times are going to be bad uh, and tough, they're going to walk with you. And when times are tough for them, you're going to walk with them. Along with that, you know, I can't assume that everybody that is listening to this podcast is a Christian or a believer, uh, so long, so forth. Um, what, what about the crowd that comes into the church on Sunday mornings and they just can't relate because their grief is too heavy on them? You know, is it more than just the Sunday morning service that can heal them? What does uh, that look like for them? Yeah, that's good. Um, and this morning I was at, uh, we're, you and I are recording this on a Sunday. I was at church this morning and uh, I walked past a room uh, in kind of the, the back annals of the church there. And inside the room was a group meeting called Grief Share. Mm. And, and Grief Share is this ministry that we have at our church. And it's kind of a natural, national ministry. And we have a local group that, that meets there. Uh, but they go through a 13-week curriculum, for lack of a better word, mm. uh, on walking through grief. And I almost popped in the room to to say hello to them because that's what a good pastor does, right? <laughs> While there's a class going on, you pop in the room and wave to everybody and, hey, how y'all doing today? Yeah, it's and like the principal th- that walks in the classroom. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I thought better of that. And and I looked in the window and, and there is the the facilitator of the group dave crossan who i so respect Mm. talking and then i I look over and there's someone just in tears uh sharing their Mm. their grief walk and Mm. these are people that some of them don't have that community that that you and i were just talking about and maybe don't have that natural group of friends right but they were prompted maybe by someone close to them um, to get involved and go do grief share. Mm. And what they end up finding is so many other people that are going through it also and that are, are struggling, that are in pain, and they are grieving together. And it is such a beautiful thing. So to, to go back to what you, you know, the original question, Mm. Um, for someone that's, that's sitting out there, um, just comes on a Sunday morning, doesn't have connection. When you're in deep grief, sometimes you have to make that, this is one of those turning, leaning into the darkness kind of moves Mm. is, is you need to reach out and say, you know, to a group like grief share and say, I need to be in this because I'm a mess. Mm. and I need help, you know? It's it's yeah. throwing up the white flag of surrender and saying, I can't figure this out. Yep. Um, and, you know, that's, that's my challenge to someone that doesn't feel connected mm. is look and look as hard as you can and um, be that persistent. What was it? The persistent widow? Who was the one in Scripture that kept bothering the king? Mm. I don't think she was a widow. She was a mother or something like that, but... She kept mm. bothering the king. It's a it's a parable. Yes. I'm showing my weakness in my pastoring <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, but she was so persistent that the king eventually is like, fine, fine, fine. It, the, the parable is about us being more fervent in prayer and, mm. uh, uh, and so on. But that's where mm. I just challenge people. 
like you got to cry out for help. Yeah. And, um, you know, Tanner, you and I both know someone who went through a tremendous amount of grief when I think you were a freshman or a sophomore, a young mm. man that had lost his father. Uh, yes. It was just a, a tragic accident. And shortly after it had happened, I reached out to him and, and we were hanging out a little bit. Um, but I, I got really busy and mm. I, I hadn't taken any time to spend, taken any time to spend with him. And, uh, his mom called me and she said, I need you to spend time with my son. Mm. He needs a man in his life. You need to do this. Wow. Uh, but she was fighting for her son. Love her. And for his health. <laughs> and and he and I have subsequently had some amazing times connecting together. And, and But I really appreciated that she saw where the need was and grabbed the bull by the horns and did everything she could uh, to make that happen. And mm. so sometimes we have to advocate for ourselves in that. Sometimes we have to advocate for those that are close to us too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think some final touches on this um it's important to analyze it's important to see and realize that there's people around you that have dealt with loss that are still you know dealing with that like we had talked about earlier you know you never get over it you know you just start to yeah. kind of get used to it and i think that that's an important you know difference to understand because you know people still have those mental scars with anything. It doesn't even have to be about loss. People have mental scars. And, you know, with that being said, that goes along with how we, you know, treat them, how we act around them, you know, whether it's even just, you know, one moment of a slip up, you know, of even just saying sarcasm about something and that can, you know, somehow trigger some emotion that they've dealt with for yeah. a long time. Um, and so looking at your own personal life, seeing how you've gotten, you know, not over this, but that you've gotten used to it. What, what are some final, you know, encouragement or words that you can give, you know, to my audience today? So if you're around someone that has gone through loss and they are, are obviously grieving, one of the worst things you can do is to pretend that it doesn't exist. Um, to be afraid that if you acknowledge their loss, it's going to resurrect emotion. Mm. Um, that it's, it's going to cause them to, to go to a bad place. The truth is, you know, when we lost our daughter, we were, and, and literally for years after this, Tanner, mm. this is on our minds every single day. Wow. Not necessarily every single hour, but there's not a day that goes by where I don't think of my daughter, Elise. Mm. Um, and now with my younger children, and, and I have now three children who never knew her. Mm. Um, and as they desire to get to know her, that brings up the opportunity to tell stories, uh, showing her video. We have a, a video that, that was made of her, of all the pictures and, mm. and so on. And, and as, I mean, just every single day, my youngest daughter, Amelia, asks for a 
to watch the video of baby Elise. And it's an opportunity to help her get to know Elise better. Mm. Um, but kind of my point was there's never a day that goes by where I don't have some memory of Elise. Um, mm. And sometimes it's just remembering her. Sometimes it's remembering the trauma that we went through that day. Sometimes it's celebrating the the recovery. Sometimes it's celebrating running a half marathon. Um, <laughs> and sometimes it's the half marathon that I really did well in a year later because I was <laughs> 40 pounds less than I am today. Um, things like that. But not a day goes by where that person isn't thinking at some point about that per the loss. Yeah. So don't hide it. Don't hide mm. around it. Don't be afraid that if you acknowledge that person that you're going to stir up a bunch of emotion. That's okay. Mm. That's that's with them. That's part of them. It becomes part of their story. Yeah. And you know when somebody says, "Hey Cliff, would you you know, sometime be willing to tell me a little bit more about Elise?" Like I get Greg Triplett, who, you know, you remember Greg, yep, he was one yep. of the pastors at our church. One day he said, can we go out to lunch sometime? And can you tell me more about Elise? Mm. Uh, I can't even tell you what that meant from somebody who had never known her, never saw her on the face of this earth, but he cared enough to want to get to know her a little bit. Yep. And it's one of yep. the reasons Greg is still one of those guys I look at as having been a, a great friend in my life. Because mm. um, Greg, awesome. Greg yeah. is awesome. Greg is awesome. So that's that's my challenge. And, you know, like I said earlier, I was talking about this concentric circle or the circles, you know. Yeah. After time goes by, some of those circles start to blur a little bit. And and that's where, you know, we started when we came to Sunrise. Nobody at Sunrise knew about our daughter. Yeah. And so we were joyful at the opportunity of being able to tell people about her. Mm. And, you know, as time starts to separate your um, experience with her uh, or, you know, whoever that is that you lost, um, you start to get really encouraged when people want to uh, want to hear more about it. So, mm. yeah, that's a that's a big challenge I have uh, to people is uh, the the loss is always with them. And um and most of us that have gone through it, we're willing to talk about it. Mm. That's awesome, brother. I appreciate you coming on, sharing this incredible, incredible testimony. And I tell you, I'm, I'm more than excited to meet your, your daughter one day in the kingdom. That's right. I love it. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. Hey, Tanner, I sure appreciate you having me on. What a a joy to be able to talk about her. And I love what God's doing in your life and uh, just Mm. excited to to see him continuing to move in you. So thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me on. Praise Jesus. Love you, brother. Thanks a lot. Man, what an incredible, incredible story. That story touches my heart so much so much every single time that i've heard it it just warms my heart even though it is a story that is sad and it is you know uh, unfortunate to go through cliff's heart his character who he is if you know cliff you know that he is one of the most genuine loving kind-hearted people that you will ever meet and just seeing that you know this guy 
went through thick and thin, you know, with his family, with his wife, with people surrounding him, he powered through the darkness because he realized how close the light was. It's true. We can't always get over things, but we can get used to things. And that's encouraging. As we look forward and we know that there's an expectation of things to come that are going to stink. We may not know the strength of the sting, of that pain that you go through. But you can expect that there will be pain to come. And as we find ourselves building our house on the rock, as we find ourselves rooting ourselves into Jesus, really digging into the character and the goodness of God and his promises, you are able to see the hope, the truth, the light. You recognize that Cliff was in this place where community was so strong. He even compared it at one point you know, to the church of Acts and that closeness, that that unity that is just so powerful. When you're surrounded by a community that is so filled with that same joy and that same light as you, you're able to get through things a lot easier. Now, I'm not suppressing the pain and the hurt that Cliff and April went through, but like he even said himself, Hume and being surrounded by that community helped him for the long run and allowed him to be surrounded by godly people, like Christ-like people, that are able to help him out and pray and just surround them with service. Guys, if you have made it this far in the episode, I just want to thank you so, so much. And if you could, please support us um, in terms of sharing, liking, following you know, posting it on your social media pages, whatever it might be, that would just bless my heart so much. If you could just share the Vision Project, not so that I can get, you know, reputation or have the spotlight on me or recognition or whatever it might be, but so that Jesus can get the spotlight and so that Jesus and his stories and the stories that he's working through people like this can be spread and noticed so that people may know Jesus that they can see the true refining of the gospel, that they can see the gift of salvation that they are offered, this free gift, that we don't have to work and earn that salvation by working for it, but that we can just surrender ourselves to him and live under that sacrifice, that gracious sacrifice that he gave to us. You guys, I... I'm speechless for how this podcast went. I'm looking forward to the next Testimony Tuesdays and the next episodes here on the VP Podcast. I hope you guys are too. But for now, we'll see you guys in the next episode.